Okay, our scripture reading today is from 2 Samuel chapter 7, um, verses 12 through 17. And uh, this is where God, um, through Nathan, gives a promise to David. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with rod and with a rod wielded by men, with floggings inflicted by human hands. But my love will never be taken away from him, as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. Nathan reported to David all the words of this entire revelation. I'm really excited to bring God's word today to you. Who are the greatest visionaries? What visionaries come to your mind when I ask, who are the greatest visionaries of all time? Go ahead, you can speak out. Who comes to mind as a great visionary? JFK, John F. Kennedy. Who else? Socrates. Yes, that's who I thought right away. Who else? Maybe Gandhi was a visionary. Maybe... um, Mother Teresa, great, yeah, good. How about modern day visionaries? I think Henry Ford was the first one that came up on my Google search. He envisioned getting a car in every middle class family, right? Uh, Steve Jobs, he came up. Elon Musk is another name, right. And, And what is a visionary? A visionary is a person that has a vision of what could be, what might happen in the future if we pursue it. And many people have had visions, but the ones that we think about that have great visions are the ones who not only had a vision, but they pursued it until they reached it. Because of Martin Luther King, we have more racial equality in our day, though the vision needs to be continued to be pursued because there's still a lot of racial inequality in our world. So so a vision is something we can imagine the future could be if we go after it, if we pursue it. And that's what I want to talk about today. I wanted to ask you, what vision do you have? What vision do you have in your life? Whose vision have you grasped that you believe in and you are pursuing that with all of your heart? You are still working towards that great goal that you have before you. Has God given you promises that you are pursuing, that you want to make a reality? I don't know the answers to your, I don't know, the, I don't know your answers. Each of us may have a different vision, may have different goals. But I hope this morning to stimulate you to be open to think about what are we living for? What are we pursuing with all of our might today? And if you you don't have a vision, I hope to share a vision from God's word that might stimulate you, 
that might fuel a direction in your life that you could pursue, that you could work towards. Because I believe Jesus was one of the greatest visionaries ever. He changed the world with the vision that he brought and he passed on to his disciples and whom his disciples have since passed on to further generations. I want to share, first of all, my story. I, I wrestled with this idea in my 20s when I went to college. I was seeking the Lord's direction for my life. And I felt called to go as a missionary to the unreached and unreached people in the world. I, I grabbed hold of a vision Many, that many missionaries had come to our college, had presented the needs of the world. I got excited about those visions, and I wanted to go, and God sent me, and I went to Kyrgyzstan. I've been serving 20 years in Kyrgyzstan among the unreached Kyrgyz Muslim people of Kyrgyzstan. There, our goal, our purpose is to share the gospel of Jesus, the good news, with people that have never heard it. And as they believe in him, we make them into disciples of Jesus. We invest in them in personal relationships. We teach them God's word, and we teach them to obey God's word, and we support them through that growth process. Our goal is to make disciples of Jesus. And God has blessed us. We have met with some success in that goal in that work that we've engaged in. We have started several home churches in which we meet together to break bread, to fellowship, to learn God's word, to talk about how we're living it out, and to talk about how, how we are doing, whether successfully or not successfully, in, in obeying the commands of Christ, as he told us. And God meets us there. There's a special fellowship that we have. God is there. And I've seen these disciples mature. So we, we had some success. But along the way, our vision expanded. Our vision expanded. So it was no longer just establishing a beachhead there where we would meet together and we would grow together as a community of disciples. But we began to see there's a lot of people left who haven't been reached with the gospel yet. How are we going to reach them? I'm a full-time missionary. That's my job, right? But I can't do very much. God calls all of his people to get involved in doing that work. And we began to see we need to equip everybody with a vision, with a heart, with the skills to go and do that work of advancing the kingdom among their own people. We long to see a movement where one person is equipped, will go and find and share the gospel with others. And as people believe, to invest their life in them and teach them to do the same, to share the gospel with people they know and to make disciples. And those third-generation disciples would do the same and fourth, and fifth, and sixth, like fire spreading through a forest, that we would see a movement. We would see a movement of generations of disciple-makers. 
That has been our vision. That's our expanded vision. It's very exciting, but very challenging as well. I hope that gets you a little bit excited. It excites me to think about God not just saving a small percentage of the population. Kyrgyzstan is under 1% um, Christian, mostly Muslim. But what if Kyrgyzstan could become a nation that was marked by 10, 20, 30, 50, 80% believers in Jesus? Wouldn't that be awesome? That's a big vision, isn't it? So we're trying to find that pathway forward, right? We're trying to find that. Trying to train believers to be reproducing disciple makers. We're still pursuing it. So what is God's vision? That's really what I want to bring to you today, the heart of my message. What is God's vision for the world and for us in Arnold, California? It isn't a mystery. In fact, it's already been revealed to us in the Bible. Paul talks about it in Ephesians as a mystery, but that has now been revealed to us. So we're going to get into that, but I need to give a little bit of a backstory. So we remember that Abraham's descendants found themselves down in Egypt, and they were under, in slavery under Pharaoh in Egypt, and God brought them out mightily by Moses through the desert, the wilderness, and into a land that he promised to give them. And in time, they asked for a king. They wanted a king. They rejected God as their king. They wanted a flesh and blood king like the other nations around them. And God gave them a king, gave them Saul. Saul was okay at the start, but in time, he really disappointed God. He had his own agenda. He didn't obey God. And so God then installed David. David was a shepherd boy. He was a poet, a musician, and he had a passionate love for God. He was called a man after God's own heart. And not only did he love God, but he trusted God, and he waited for God's timing, and he obeyed God. And God was so pleased with him. He made an incredible promise. That's the passage that Jody just read in 2 Samuel. When your days are fulfilled, God says to David, and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise you up, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men and the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom, David, shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. God promises David a kingdom that will never perish, never go away. 
that will never be destroyed, a forever kingdom. Now, we know who David's son was, the infamous, famous Solomon. And Solomon, when he was young, asked for wisdom from God. And God gave him great wisdom. But as his life progressed, he made a lot of mistakes. He married many, many women. And they led his heart astray. He became an idolater. He worshipped other gods of the nations around Israel that really weren't gods. But he didn't follow in God's ways. We see this promise partially fulfilled in Solomon's life, but Solomon's kingdom, or you should say David's forever kingdom, didn't last very long. After Solomon died, what happened? Solomon had a son named Rehoboam, and the ten northern tribes of Israel refused to follow Rehoboam. They split off. Only two southern tribes accepted him as king. The ten northern tribes took another king to follow. Jeroboam was his name. Then many kings from both the two southern tribes and the ten northern tribes failed to follow the covenantal relationship God had established with David. So it appeared that this promise to David wasn't fulfilled. In 931, Solomon died. And later, about 200, 250 years later, uh, well, first Assyria came and took the northern tribes, destroyed it. Then Babylon came under King Nebuchadnezzar and destroyed Solomon's uh, children's and descendants the Davidic line of succession, destroyed the southern kingdom. And that was the end of the Davidic line of succession. End of story. Not quite. We have prophets that show up on the scene. All of the major prophets, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Daniel, they all prophesy about a king who would come. Starting, let's start with Isaiah. In Isaiah, about 200 years after Solomon died, made this statement. For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. Did you get that? God promises to fulfill his promise of a Davidic king who will come and establish a kingdom of peace and righteousness. Jeremiah, this is 300 years after Solomon died. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely 
and shall execute justice and righteousness in the world. Ezekiel, 350 years after Solomon died. My servant David will be king over them. There will be one shepherd for all of them. They will follow my regulations and carefully observe my statutes. David, my servant, will be prince over them forever. And finally, Daniel chapter 7. Daniel has a vision in the night. And with the clouds of the sky, one like a son of man was approaching. He went up to the Ancient of Days and was escorted before him. To him was given ruling authority, honor, and sovereignty. All peoples, nations, and language groups were serving him. His authority is eternal and will not pass away. And his kingdom will not be destroyed. The point is clear. God made a wonderful promise to David. It didn't seem like it was fulfilled. But the prophets held out hope that it would be fulfilled someday. And the people of Israel were waiting for its fulfillment. In fact, Daniel, two chapters later in Daniel chapter 9, predicted with amazing accuracy that about 500 years later, 490 years, that this Messiah will show up. And that's exactly at the time of Christ. So God gave his people a vision and a promise and an expectation that they would have a king, a human king, but was also uh, endowed with divine qualities, you could say. He was, he was one like a son of man. He approached the ancient of days, it says, and then he was given power and authority forever, and all the people served him. Then we come to the first verse of the New Testament. Matthew writes, this is the genealogy of the Messiah the son of David. Messiah, as you probably know, a term meaning anointed one. He is the anointed king. Jesus, the anointed king, the son of David, is here. When we read through the rest of the Gospels, we see over and over again Jesus speaking about the, about the what? The kingdom of God is near. Look at the first verse, Mark 1, 14 and 15. After John had been taken into custody, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Notice that the good news Jesus brought to the people in his day was good news of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God was coming that they were waiting for. Luke 4, 42 through 44, Jesus said to them, I have to proclaim the good news about the kingdom of God in the other cities also, for that is what I was sent to do. Matthew 6, 9 and 10, he teaches us to pray, Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth. This is 
the first thing we're told to pray, even before praying for our own personal needs, Jesus taught us, pray for the kingdom to come. Matthew 6.33, Jesus tells us, seek above all else the kingdom of God and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. Then Jesus, as you know, told parables of the kingdom, 13 parables of the kingdom, to give us and his followers everywhere throughout history a better understanding of what is the nature of this kingdom. What is this kingdom like? That's a a great study I would urge you to, to take, to read the parables of Jesus and Learn better, what is, what is God's kingdom intended to be like? Matthew 12, 28. Jesus says, as he's confronted with the Pharisees who say that he's driving out demons by the power of Beelzebub, another word for Satan, Jesus responds to them, but if I drive out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come to you. It's no longer the kingdom is near, repent and believe. Now the kingdom has come because I'm driving out the demons by the Spirit of God. And then not long after this, he sends out his disciples, his 12 followers. What are they supposed to do? They're supposed to go through the villages and proclaim What message? The kingdom of God. And to drive out demons, just like Jesus was doing. He sent them to do the same. It's a really neat passage. One chapter later in Luke 10, Jesus sends his followers on another mission. Not just the 12, but now the 72. He sends them out, and they come back, and they're they're so excited. Even the demons submit to us in your name. They're so thrilled. And Jesus says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on snakes and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. Jesus, the king, had come. He was overthrowing Satan's kingdom. proclaiming the good news and casting out demonic powers. One day, a Pharisee asked him, tell us when will the kingdom of God come? And Jesus said, it's not, you can't detect it by visible signs. You won't be able to say, look, it is over there, or here it is here. He says, for the kingdom of God is already among you. Here it is. It's not just near. It has arrived. So Jesus spoke frequently about the kingdom of God coming through him, the Messiah, the long-awaited king of the Jews. And after he was crucified and he rose from the dead, which was an incredibly significant event in human history that had incredible ramifications, he comes to his disciples in a very famous passage, some of the final words Jesus gives his disciples. And he says a startling and amazing thing. 
all authority, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Think about that. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Do you know the next verse? Therefore, go, make disciples of all nations. Because all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, and your allegiance is to me, you are following me, I send you, I tell you, go, make disciples of all nations. As you go, baptize them. In other words, lead them into this kingdom and then teach them to obey all that I've commanded you. And surely I am with you to the end of the age. That's the clincher. Jesus passed on to his followers a vision. It was a continuing vision. God had started it in the Old Testament, developed it, and refueled it through the prophets, and Jesus brought it. Jesus brought it home to his disciples. And to this day, you and I have the privilege of entering that kingdom and living in that kingdom. There's more to the story. I don't want to spend a lot of time, so we're going to run through it. But in Acts, the first verses of Acts 1-3, after Jesus was raised from the dead, he, he met with his disciples at different times over 40 days, and he says to them, he starts to speak to them about the kingdom of God. If you look at the end of the book of Acts, Acts 28, verses 30 through 31, the very end, the very last words say, for the next two years, Paul lived in Rome at his own expense. He welcomed all who visited him, boldly proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ, and no one tried to stop him. Ephesians 1, 21 and 22, Paul says, Jesus is far above all rulers and authorities, powers, lords, and all other names that can be named. Colossians 1.14 says, He has rescued us from the, king, from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves. And Romans 14 says that the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. These are just few of the many, many, many verses about the kingdom of God. Brothers and sisters, the kingdom of God has come. It's a spiritual kingdom. There are two kingdoms in the world. There is the satanic kingdom and God's kingdom under Jesus. And we have entered that kingdom. So we've run through a lot of scriptures here. I want to summarize six main points I hope you heard as I went through them. First of all, God planned long ago to be the king of his people. Two, God came in the flesh in Jesus 
to be the king of his people. Three, Jesus the king inaugurated his kingdom during his earthly ministry, which was good news to his people, the people of that day. Four, he defeated his and our cosmic enemy, Satan, in his death and resurrection. We didn't talk very much about that. That's a different message. Five, he reigns as king, and anyone who repents and believes enters his kingdom. And six, with his supreme authority, we are sent to advance his kingdom everywhere. Missionaries like me need to have clear vision to sustain us because we work in difficult places. We're challenged in many ways. And so if we lose sight, if we lose our vision, it's very difficult. So we remind ourselves of the vision we're pursuing, and often we come back, we share with you, our brothers and sisters, what that vision is. We need your partnership. This church sends out missionaries. Many individuals in this church support and pray for missionaries. It's a group effort that we go to do this work. And to that extent, we are obedient to making disciples of all the nations. But what about this community you live in? I think many of us are from Arnold, live in Arnold, but some of us come up from Murphy's, some come down from Dorrington, um, Camp Connell. I don't know if there are people from beyond these communities, but in this county, Calaveras County, Let's think about this county. Is it reached? Is the kingdom of God advancing in this place through his people? Has everyone heard the gospel clearly shared from someone who loves them? Is God done here? Can we stop working for the kingdom in this place? Or are we called and sent, commissioned, to be intentional that as we go about our lives, we are praying, we are, are, are seeking the opportunity to share the good news of God's presence in the world. We have found this pearl, this treasure, we have found it and we've entered it. And other people need to find it. I hope that today I faithfully passed on the vision that Jesus gave his followers 2,000 years ago and continues to give us today. I believe there's a need in our community I believe there's an opportunity. We've been commanded to do the work. 
we have the Holy Spirit to empower us. As I heard recently from John in the new members class, and, and I've heard in the past as well, there are three things we need, three essential things we need. Maybe there's more, but three essential things we need to accomplish any task, any task. First, we need head. Head refers to knowledge, can also refer to uh, an awareness of the needs and opportunities, and it can also refer to the vision. What is our goal? What is our plan? What are we doing? We have the head, don't we? We have Christ. He is our head. He has given us a vision. He has commanded us to go, and he has a plan. And that plan is, includes us, all of us, in partnership with him to share the message with the people who don't know it yet. But there's two more things we need. We need heart. We need a heart. We need to care. We need to love people. We need motivation. It's a challenging one. Sometimes we don't love people as we, we should. Sometimes our neighbor really annoys us. <laughs> so maybe we're not eager to share with them because of reasons. Well, how do we develop a heart if we're lacking it? My conviction, I have found, as I pray, as I pray, as I draw close to God's heart, and I pray for those who lost, even those people who annoy me, even those people who I have a hard time relating with, as I, as I pray, God changes me. And he, he warms my heart. He strengthens my vision. And he gives me motivation to go. We also use heart in a different way, don't we? We use heart to talk about, for example, we might say, I didn't have the heart to tell him the bad news. What we mean is, like, courage. Heart can be used for courage. I didn't have the courage to tell him. Do we have the courage to tell other people the good news? Do we have the heart for it? Because, honestly, it's scary to share the gospel in this day and age. We might look foolish. People might ridicule us. It's so culturally wrong to talk with people about spiritual things sometimes. And it's, it can be very difficult for some of us to screw up the courage to do it. How do we overcome that? I think we need to band together with other believers who are intent on doing, this, doing that same thing that we are aiming to do. Because we encourage one another. We press courage into each other. If we were trying to do it on our own, we probably would lose heart. But if we have other people that we are joining with, we have courage. I would encourage you to pray expectantly. I want to share one little illustration. There's a beautiful park at the end of our parking lot down there. Four picnic tables. It's beautiful. Beautiful little lake. You got ducks with their little babies. You got gooses and go goslings. You got turtles. It's just a peaceful, wonderful place. A lot of people come here. 
I don't know if you know it, but a lot of people come in the daytime, a lot of workers take their lunch there. People, you know, crews working on the trees come here and eat their lunch. The Xfinity guy comes here all the time. The pest control people come down here. And then a lot of other people come just for rest, like in the evening, in the cool of the evening. They just come and sit, enjoy that place. Somebody had a vision for that place years ago. Somebody had a vision to put a little park in down there. And now people in our community are coming onto our property to find peace and quiet and rest. So we live right here, right? We live right across the street. We see all these people coming and going. And we go down there too. We, we go down there all the time. I was there this morning for a couple hours. And often we go down there. I started to pray for these people who are coming to the church. Not in the church, but at least close to it. God, would they find peace here? Would they see you through creation, your creation, that beautiful place? Would they be drawn to you? Would they be aware they're on a church property and the church has opened it up to the community? Start to pray that one day. That evening, I was down there. This couple had come down. I don't think they're here today. I don't see them. Dylan and Veronica. Are you here, Dylan and Veronica? Okay. They live higher up. I don't know how high. Maybe Bear Valley. Um, maybe up, I think, above Camp Connell somewhere. They come down here to do shopping and to eat out sometimes. And uh, we met each other there at the park. And I began to feel like I should pray for them. So I start to pray in my heart, God, may I be a light somehow. Help me connect with them, Lord. And before long, Veronica asked, is this a Christian church? I didn't even have to get to spiritual things. She opened it up for me right there. Yeah, it's a Christian church, great church. They really love God. They love people. They love other people. And they're really intent on following. It's really, really great community. They said, man, we should come sometime. I wouldn't be surprised if they come. You might meet them someday. I was praying for them. I had started to pray that morning, and then God brought them in my life. Then, next night, they came again, and I saw them again. I have a, kind of a little bit of an ongoing friendship with them now. Dylan and I talked a little bit about what we believe, about how Jesus taught to love people. And, you know, we start to get in the right direction. I'm looking forward to the opportunity at some point to share my story about how God saved me and invite them to believe it too. Why not? I find that as I pray for people as I go through my day, the clerk at the grocery store, the guy selling me gas, the ladies at the post office, people I bump into if I'm out eating somewhere. Just be praying, God, make me a light. Give me an opportunity to share with people around me. And of course, share with, pray for your neighbors like crazy. Just this week, John sent an email out. I hope all of you all got it. 
about a, a year ago, last May, you prayed for all of the homes in this community. It's awesome. That's real spiritual work. That is powerful work of the kingdom of God in this community. I know pastor meets on Wednesday afternoons at 3 o'clock to pray. Let's pray. Let's do it. Okay. I want to say praying for the people of this community as I intersect with, with them keeps me attuned to the reality of God potentially using me in their life. Otherwise, I can go through my day doing my own thing with my own goals and agenda and not really realize that I'm interacting with people who are lost and who need to hear the message. And I'm a missionary. John and I were laughing about this the other day. If we struggle to keep that on the forefront of our mind, how much more is it hard for other people who don't see it as their vocation? So it's a challenge for all of us to pray for the lost around us as we go through our days. Today, after church, there is a, an equipping opportunity for you, a training opportunity. Kelly and Donna are going to teach a relatively short six or seven session course on how to share the gospel. You have a vision. I hope you've heard me share the vision. I hope you hear God calling you to participate in that vision, that reality that God wants to bring his kingdom into more and more people's homes in this community. What's stopping us from reaching that vision? Maybe we lack love. Maybe we lack courage. Maybe we don't know how. But we can move forward to, 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 to not stay stuck in our own small vision, but to pursue God's vision with others who are also pursuing it. So I want to close 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself to the work of the Lord, for you know that your labors for the Lord are not in vain. Amen. Amen.